So I went to go and see World War Z and World War Z. And um, this is sort of a longer review. I might be able to do a shorter one for a video. But zombies are interesting. Of course, right? I mean, there's lots of zombie movies and so on. And, I mean, zombies are primarily about yeah, un unreasonable greed, irrational greed. Uh, zombies are, of course, a kind of cancer in that they will spread until they kill off the host, and they, then they themselves, I guess, die again or whatever. And, you know, in the vampires are about sociopathy. You know, they can't see themselves in the mirror. They, they lie, they drink blood, and so on, right? They use sexual allure only to exploit. Uh, it's, you know, that's about sociopathy. But zombies are more about... I'm sorry if I'm a little sluggish. I'm just, uh, I just finished my last round of chemo. I'm feeling a little tad, tiny bit tired. But zombies are unthinking greed. Uh, it can't, can't be reasoned with, uh, can't be escaped. There's no talismans to ward them off. You know, I guess other than headshot. <laughs> uh, shot to the head. But, you know, with vampires, you've got you know, garlic and crucifixes and daytime and so on. And with werewolves, you've got silver bullets and they come out in specific times and so on. But zombies are always hungry, always moving, always on the prowl, and you can't uh, you can't reason with them. All right. So in the Hobbit, there are trolls and their weaknesses that they can't see daytime or they turn back into stone. And so you can stall them, you can fool them, you can use their verbal wits. You can do some of that with vampires as well because they're language based. Uh, not so much with werewolves, but. You uh, can't do any of that with zombies. They are appetite with no rationality whatsoever. And they show all the hallmarks of physical wounding. right? So they are wounded, and they are voracious, and, and they eat brains, right? That's supposed to be the thing. Why they eat brains when they're dead is never explained, right? Why, why does something need to eat when it's dead. Now, of course, in World, and this is going to have spoilers in it, so forgive me for that. But in World War Z, of course, it's uh, the reason is because they have a virus, and the virus makes them want to attack other people, and so on. And after they run out of victims, they sort of just stand there inert, immune to, say, sunburns. Which, you know, can you make them uglier? Not sure. Not sure if you can. But this incapacity to reason with them, I think, is really, uh, really important. And to me, this is always signified people who are on the other side of violence. And so for me, there's a lot of themes going on in World War Z. I mean, of course, there's the end of the pro-Israel propaganda and, and all this sort of stuff. Of course, I mean, it was written by Mel Brooks' son. Uh, I, I imagine he would be Jewish. I can't imagine Mel Brooks marrying a shiksa. 
So he would be Jewish, and that's all. I mean, people have written about that, and there's not that much to say in advance uh, of that, other than, you know, feminists make pro-female films, and Jews make pro-Jew films, pro-Jewish books, and so on. Everybody is an advocacy group, except we happy philosophers. We advocate only the truth. So, yeah, it's it's the most pro-Jewish, pro-Israel piece of propaganda since Exodus. Sure. Of course, I mean, that's fine. It's also strangely pro-dictatorship, right? So in North Korea, the way they solve the uh, problem of the zombies who bite to spread the infection is that they, the 13 million people get their teeth all removed in, in one day. And uh, all their teeth are removed in one day, so uh, a dictatorship is really where it's at to survive this stuff. What is immensely positive in a weird way... Now, it's it's positive in a sort of leftist, secular way, so it has its problems, and the praise of dictatorship is always the case, right? But what is positive, and I'm thinking things like Psych and Monk and, and other shows, uh, even um, Sherlock, what is immensely positive is that the supernatural is discarded. So when I was a kid, I remember making out with Heidi in the basement to a TV movie where the woman goes back in time to King Arthur's court and then she sort of wakes up. Was it all a dream? And there's a a scarf or a... Kuchif from the King Arthur's court that came back with her. So she doesn't know if it's a dream or if it's not a dream. So there's this big multi-decade transition from the supernatural to the secular. There have been attempts to make vampire vampirism an illness, form of hemophilia or something like that. And in this case, zombies are not necromantic souls of the undead raised by black sorcerers and so on. They have an infection. It's an illness. Entirely secular. In shows like Psych, uh, psychic powers are fraudulent. It's just observation. Same thing with Monk. Uh, he has um, what OCD, probably some autism or whatever, but it's secular. It's not supernatural. And that's, I mean, in a weird way, that is kind of progress. I mean, they're probably all leftists, probably all socialists, but nonetheless... Uh, it's not, you know, the demon lord is returning with his horde of undead and there's black magic and we need to find the talisman to kill the demon lord and throw the ring into the fire and so on, right? With a finger, right? So it's, it's secular. And this is sort of the inexorable march of science. And again, with the caveat that it's probably scientific socialism and so on, right? It's not that they're rational particularly, it's just that they don't like the supernatural as a competition to state power. But at least there is a secular explanation or argument for it. They're not demons. They are disease-ridden human beings. And we'll get back to what I think the zombies represent. But I think what's important as well is there's a mild bit of progress in terms of empathy. 
And what I mean by that is you have lots of people-ish things, the zombies, who can be killed with no moral regret. Right? It's not hordes of Russians or terrorists or, you know, it's actually, it's zombies. People who are already dead and so on. So, in a weird kind of way, it's also progress that the target is zombies rather than people. I mean, ex-people. So, it's a diluted form of sociopathy to say, well, we can, we can kill the zombies and that's good. And we're not going to cry tears over the zombies. Right, in the same way that that scene in Saving Private Ryan, where the German soldier is speaking phrases of broken English in an attempt to... Right, so there's some... It's dehumanizing, but it's dehumanizing non-humans. And so you get the orgy of violence and the flamethrowers and the bombs and the whatever, right, airstrikes and all that, and it blows, quote, people up, but they're not people anymore. So, again... You look for glimmers of hope wherever you can find them. But in that situation, it's not pure sociopathy. I mean, to a sociopath, we probably all look like <laughs> zombies. But that is something that I think is really, really interesting and worth, worth understanding. Where you can get progress in these kinds of situations is, is important. Now, Brad Pitt represents something also quite interesting. I mean, it is a hymn to Brad Pitt. I mean, obviously, he's the producer, he's the star. So, you know. As Matt Damon said about Goodwill Hunting, what, am I going to make myself look bad? Sure, I'll make myself a genius, right? But Brad Pitt represents something quite interesting to women. I think he always has. Now, one thing that's, that's true about Brad Pitt is he's got the eyes of a poet and the face of a bouncer. Right? He, he looks like a thug, but he has these very soulful eyes. You know, the murderous nurturer, the alpha male brute who is great with children, is the fantasy, right? So many years ago, I saw a pretty funny film with Matt Dillon and Rosie O'Donnell, and Rosie O'Donnell calling people, you mooks, is walking around a drugstore saying, basically, you know, you, you guys always want the woman with big boobs, but you don't want the big ass. Well, sorry to break it to you fellas. When you get a big boobs, you get a big ass. You all want this tiny ass and this great rack. Not going to happen this world or any other world without surgery. And uh, probably some truth in that. Sofia Vergara accepted. But women want the brutality and alpha dominance and resource gathering through aggression that the alpha male has, but they also want, you know, said alpha male to be really great, gentle, kind, and tender with their children. And, I mean, this is a fantasy. This is... A delusion that this is an incredibly toxic and dangerous fantasy, as Warren Farrell has pointed out on my show and, and of course, in his books. The woman who wants the alpha male 
well, the male becomes the alpha male by not having empathy, right? He's, he's, if he's a lawyer or something, he doesn't sort of sit across from the other lawyer and say, hey, let's work it out. But, you know, tries to dominate him with all that. So women choose the greatest providers or the, the best providers from the males who have the least empathy. And that's what attracts them, right? He's strong, he's confident. He's, no, he's cold. I mean, yeah, confidence is, is easy if you don't recognize the existence of other people. I can be extremely assertive in a room full of mannequins. Uh, real people, it becomes a little bit trickier. So if you don't fundamentally register the existence of other people, then it's easy to be confident and use them and, and so on, right? Like, I'm extremely confident with with the car. Like, if I'm driving my car, I don't say, well, where do you want to go? Let's negotiate about it. No, I say, I don't even say, we just go in somewhere because my car doesn't have any feelings to me and I just use it to get where I want. And so women who want the alpha male provider, they want somebody who's sort of cold and assertive and, and uh, dominant and all that kind of stuff because he gets lots of goodies from society, largely because of the government, but nonetheless, in a free society, it wouldn't work so well. But then they want that same guy to sort of switch personalities when he comes home and be loving and curious and kind and tender and gentle and empathetic and so on. I mean, they want the big boobs and the big ass. Sorry. You want the big provider, you get the emotional unavailability. You want the emotional availability, odds are you're not going to get the great provider. Right? They want the big boobs and the big ass, but you can't really get both. And there's no surgery that can allow you to swap out your empathy slash non-empathy centers of your brain. So he's great with kids. He's, he's, he's wonderful. He's empathetic. He helps them calm down. And a kind, gentle, tender, blah 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 And then when an Israeli woman gets bitten in the hand, he just turns around and hacks her hand off and then dresses her wound while she screams in agony, showing no discomfort and right after that he has a nap right i mean he's he's got the sociopathic tendencies down perfect what is generally called heroism is almost always sociopathy again with the exception of tom hanks in saving private ryan where he does actually weep uh, at one point but brad pitt's character is um a complete sociopath i mean he 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 abandons families to their death because they won't come with him uh he um hacks off a woman's hand and, and addresses the wound and, and has no... He's, he's, you know, he's in a plane crash and is skewered through with metal through his body and then does lots of hand-to-hand combat after that. I mean, the logic of it is purely ridiculous, right? So these zombies, right, they, they need to be... Like a headshot that blows them away is the only thing that sort of really take them out. And even after they've been turned to ash, their fingers will still twitch. But, you know, one hit from a monkey wrench in Brad Pitt's hands, and they just, they go down forever. I mean, because he's, he is greater, he's a greater force than time and fire and, <laughs> right, and so on. I mean, those kinds of things are to be expected. But he is the tender slaughterer of others. And this, you know, the Genghis Khan, who uh, is wonderfully empathetic with children, this is important to understand. He goes through incredibly harrowing situations, cuts off someone's hand, dresses the wound, and, playing, and suffers no ill effects. He doesn't have the shakes. He, he's perfectly calm, cool, and collected. 
Uh, and this is somebody who's a sociopath, in my opinion. I mean, you, you just can't get that kind of detachment from trauma without without having no connection with your emotions or others to begin with. You know, the, the world-weary cop and private eye who's divorced, I mean, that's a staple, right? Uh, because they deal with people with whom they, they can't have empathy. Uh, empathy is, is hazardous to those positions. And so they're always divorced and drinking and, you know, whatever it is, like all these problems, smokers and hollowed-out eyes and so on. A pain behind the eyes, as Dire Straits sings. I mean, a great song, Private Investigations. So this fantasy of the soulful thug, right, the, the warm-hearted, cold-eyed alpha male, that, that's just a fantasy. And this is one of the reasons why Brad Pitt's character is so wooden and so empty. Uh, he is uh, an empty-headed vehicle for moving the plot along, but he has no humanity. Uh, he has no trauma. He, he's decisive and hacks people's limbs off and then has a nap and gets up and has a plane crash and walks and then is good to fight and all that kind of stuff, right? Injects himself with lethal uh, pathogens and so on. I mean, he's completely sociopath. Anyway, this fantasy is not really addressed. Right, so in... Oh, what's it called? How I Met Your Mother, the Neil Patrick Harris character has a chart which says hot and crazy, right? The hotter the girl, the crazier the girl. The more sexually attractive she is, the nuttier she is. And that's something that you see, of course, uh, all over the place. Uh, this general idea that the hotter she is, the crazier she is. I don't know. Is it true or not? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But, I mean, for it doesn't really matter insofar as this at least is something that men talk about. And a man who, I remember when I was, I don't know, 15 or so, um, I was going to ask a woman, a girl, I mean someone in my class, to a dance. And to make a long story short, I basically wanted to ask her because she had boobs. And I was roundly mocked for that by the other men. And, oh, by the boys, I'm 15, right? And, and you know, fair, fair, fair cop, you know? It's not a good reason to ask someone to a dance. And we all roll our eyes when we see, you know, a short, fat, bald, rich guy with some 20-something play, playboy pinup, right? Because we know, we know what's happening, right? Uh, someone like, uh, someone sent me a Facebook picture once years and years ago of how to spot a millionaire from behind you know and it's a it's a fat guy holding hands of a gorgeous woman in a bikini and so on right oh okay so a millionaire and so this is something that is mocked as pathetic and and ridiculous and obvious and men get criticized for that I remember one, uh, my boss uh, a while back ago, I was, he saw a picture of my girlfriend and, and she was gorgeous. And he, he just sort of laughed and said, oh, well, when you take her to a restaurant, people must assume that you're the bodyguard. <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, 
but uh, this is sort of understood and mocked by men. Whereas a woman who goes for a rich guy, just because he's rich or you know earning potential or whatever, is not mocked in the same way. It's actually considered to be prestigious. And that's something, again, that women have to have to solve. Just stop making fun of people who do that. And trust me, that behavior will change. You know, like a guy who dates a woman just because of her looks and then complains that she's shallow and foolish, I mean, will cause other men to roll their eyes and say, well, you're dating her for her looks. And then you're complaining that she's not deep. I mean, do you get how silly that is? Like, cry me a river. Take what you want, as the gods used to say in ancient Greece, take what you want and pay for it. But that's something that is still focused on men's shallowness, uh, you know, diving into the shallow end of the gene pool and looking, going for looks rather than character um, it's obvious but but women who then complain that their high functioning lawyer partner husband is not very emotionally available say well you chose him because you wanted money and you wanted status and you wanted an alpha male one of the things that comes with the alpha male is emotional unavailability that's why they're the alpha male and one of the things you get with beautiful women is often irrationalism I mean, you just do. Because not many people are going to tell them the truth. And they can always snap their fingers and get somebody else to provide for them, so why do they have to be rigorous? It's like expecting hard work ethic from a guy who's inherited $10 billion. I mean, you might. But it's pretty damn rare. In a movie called The Fisher King, there was a beautiful woman sitting behind a receptionist desk eating, reading Nietzsche, <laughs> which I, I remember as a distinctly interesting, yet improbable scenario. But it, stru- it struck with me. It, it stuck with me. And yes, the beautiful woman I was dating was irrational. She believed she had psychic powers. <laughs> So who are the zombies in this movie? They have to represent something real, otherwise there'd be no emotional impact at all. There would only be visceral impact, you know, like anything charging at you with malintent pricks our fight-and-flight mechanism. So there's a couple of answers, I think, and it doesn't have to be any one of these. It might not be any of these, but these are just my thoughts about it. The first, uh, I did a video a couple of years ago called Public Sector Pensions Will Eat Us All. And the mindless horde that is hungry without reason and consumes the host and then goes passive, uh, to me, uh, is the public sector workers. You know, with these ludicrous pensions and health care, free health care for life, and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's all 
absolutely unsustainable. It's all completely nutty. And the fact that this is going to cause a collapse of the economy is mathematically certain. It's mathematically certain that public sector pension, I mean, along with other things too, Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid, and so on. But without a doubt, public sector pensions are going to cause a collapse of the economy. And there are so many public sector workers, all approaching baby boomer age, that the idea that there's this swarm of you know brain-eating zombies you can't reason with, um, well, that doesn't seem to me too far off from the scenario, right? What do they eat brains? Well, eating brains to me is a metaphor for consuming the tax dollars of other people. Because it takes brains to produce things. And if you consume the product of brains, it's not a far stretch to say that you're consuming brains. And public sector workers are retiring. They've had massive pay increases, job stability, benefits throughout their life. They are some of the richest people uh, in in the world. And they are going to be taking massive amounts of money from the young who have uncertain job opportunities, uh, higher taxes, greater regulations, more debt, and so on. So I think that in our unconscious, we always do this calculus, right? This what is sustainable, what is not sustainable. I mean, people were able to consume food through the winter but retain enough of their seeds to plant in the spring. Even before they could do math, we were doing that. We just we have a good and innate sense of what is sustainable and what is not. And we do this under math or this unconscious math very quickly. There have been tons of studies where people can't solve equations on paper, but you put it into a social fairness scenario, like who pays for what, if who takes what, and they get it like that. Right? They understand it very quickly. So we have this inner calculus of what is sustainable and what is not. And a huge amount of psychological energy and, and focus in the Western world is consumed by us avoiding this basic reality that the system we're on is completely and totally and utterly unsustainable. A huge amount of energy is involved in repressing that basic knowledge and what it means. It's got to come out somewhere, right? I mean, that which is repressed has to come out somewhere. And, you know, the zombies look old. Right? Their hair thins out, their skin gets patchy, their teeth get yellow. I mean, they look old. And so public sector workers, the baby boom retirees who were all stealing from the young with two bony arthritic claws as fast as they can, and who, you know, make up the lies like, well, I paid into the system, you know. It's like, well, I, I lent my car to the mafia, so everybody owes me a new car. <laughs> Come on. You gave your money to the government, for God's sakes. Or you didn't at least fight, off, fight that the government was taking your money. And now you say, well, I paid into it. Well, I set fire to my savings, so everybody owes me money at the point of a gun. So the elderly and public sector workers, particularly with retirement... Uh, benefits and so on. Because that was the deal, right? Well, the, the politicians 20 years ago didn't want more strikes, so they just gave more and more retirement benefits 
kicking the can down the road as politicians are indeed want to do. So the public sector workers that eat uh, people, that eat productive people, um, just another day at the DMV. <laughs> and then they go inert, right? When they've gotten what they want, there's no more to get. And the big close-ups of the zombies are, in fact, government workers at a World Health Organization, right, in the second part. I guess the last third of the film. They are explicitly public sector workers. They're government scientists and receptionists and lab techs and admin assistants and so on, right? So they are actually explicitly uh, public sector workers. So I do think that's one aspect of what what they are. And there is a war coming between those who consume and those who produce, those who consume by force and those who produce by trade. I mean, there's a war coming. Of course, we all know that. It's not often talked about, but it can't be avoided. In fact, the less often it's talked about, the more it can't be avoided. We'd still have time for a peaceful resolution if we were resolute and honest, but, I mean, who, who's going to want to get into power talking about that stuff? So that's one level. Now, at a deeper level, uh, people who reject reason, people who refuse reason, you know, it's not hard to say, well, you see, the zombies are Muslims because, you know, they surround Israel, they're trying to break through this wall and so on, right? I mean, the idea that it's a defensive wall is ludicrous. It's, a, it's an expansionist wall. But, I mean, the standard propaganda you'd, you'd expect to hear, right? The Jews, we do not shave and we are always defensive. But it is all propagandized robots in the world. All people who have abandoned reason and evidence for the sake of irrationality, superstition, propaganda, nationalism, and so on. Because you can't reason with them. You can't reason with them. And they are literally trying to eat your brains. Right? I'm certainly not to, the first to make the analogy that faith is a virus. It attacks the young, it implants itself, it reproduces, and it's hard to kick. It's a hard habit to break. And that's an important consideration when looking at what the zombies are and who they are. That they, they are ever hungry, can't be reasoned with, and desire to spread their own virulent viruses and poisons to everyone else. Well, I mean, this is irrationality as a whole. Now, if we look at zombies as irrational people, anti-rational people, really can't be irrational without being anti-rational. Irrational is random. People tend to be explicitly anti-rational. Then the, the solution, which is really not much of a solution, but really just a setup for the next movie, the sequel, World War ZZ Top. 
then the solution that Brad Pitt comes up with, his character Jerry, I think his name is, the solution that he comes up with is you inject yourself with an illness and then the zombies won't attack you because they know you're sick and they don't want to eat you, right? Somehow they can smell it. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, if you live, let's say, in a small town that's very religious, you have to pretend to be sick to get through your day. Right? You can't proudly wear your I'm an atheist t-shirt. You can't snort and laugh when people talk about religion. You can't say, would you like to say grace? Grace, Kelly, let's eat. But you can't, you can't really do that. You have to feign irrationality in order to survive in an irrational world. You have to feign irrationality to survive in an irrational world. And so the idea that you have to inject yourself with an illness that at least hopefully is curable in order to save yourself from being slaughtered by the irrational is a perfect metaphor for trying to survive in an irrational world. I mean, I would not feel wildly comfortable going to a mall with a big t-shirt that says, this is what an atheist anarchist looks like. A feminist do this, or used to do this. This is what a feminist looks like, blah, 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 right? Atheist anarchist philosopher. I could say this is what a philosopher looks like, but that's because that doesn't have any content. Now, people can project whatever they want into philosopher. There are philosophers who defend just about any crazy crap in the known universe. I'd feel a little, uh, a little uncomfortable walking around like that. A guy in the States just got arrested for wearing an NRA t-shirt, for heaven's sakes. I think the charges were dropped after a while. It was still a scary thing to go through, I can imagine. You know, when my when I'm getting my teeth cleaned and my dental assistant goes into politics, I'm just glad I can't talk much. Yeah, I'll drop a few things here and there. I'm not a fan of, or I don't believe this is going to work, or whatever, but I'm not going to start laying out the whole philosophy when I'm when she's elbow deep in my gizzards, and she's up to her shoulders in my esophagus. Uh, yeah, I, I, I chicken out. I camouflage. I go all status chameleon on people. I mean, I, I don't say things that I don't believe, and uh, I don't, um, yeah, I don't mouth platitudes that that are offensive to me for the sake of. I, I don't do. I don't go that far, but uh, I'll definitely attempt to blend <laughs> into the background. I mean, if somebody asks me directly, I will say it, uh, the truth, and um, I will not agree with things that I find incorrect or immoral, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a big one for proselytizing in casual encounters. I save my sex for love, babies. And we all have to do that. We get a lot of letters from people. I'm at work. People bring up how much they are going to vote for this, that, and the other. What do I say? You say, well, you could say I'm not a big fan of voting and leave it at that. If people have questions, you can talk more. So I, don't, I don't believe that voting is going to change the system. I think the system itself needs to be changed. 
And most people will not ask any further about that. And it's okay. You've said what you believe and, you know, you don't support the unsupportable or get behind him, you know, push the wheel of immorality, grinding its way over the poor faces of the underclasses. So, sure, that's fine. But, you know, I do long and yearn for a world where you don't have to, you don't have to hide. You don't have to cover things up. Atheism, anarchism, rationality. It's the new gay, except like the new gay, like gay was in like 1930. Uh, I will occasionally wear a beard, if that makes any sense to you. So the argument that, or the, the, the sort of metaphorical plot device that he needs to inject himself with an illness in order not to be eaten by the sick, well, I, uh, I can really understand, that resonated with me. I can understand that. That makes sense. And to pretend to be less rational than you are in the face of the general population is, I mean, to me, completely understandable and nothing wrong about it. It's not, uh, it's not my fault, the world, the way it's the way it is. It's just a result of a lot of cowardice in the past and uh, some, you know, rational, uh, it is better to fight and run, live to fight another day. Some prudence is the better part of valor. Uh, is, uh, you know, there's some of that. Some cowardice and some prudence is the better part of valor. We actually can get more truth out now than we could in the past, which is nice. It's not my fault. You know, if I take the trees, it's not my fault that there are lions in the grass. I will hold fast to not agreeing to things I find egregious or not saying things that I find immoral, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a big one for a person <laughs> preaching from my chair, as Roger Daltrey sang. I remember throwing punches around and preaching from my chair. It's a great line. Great song. Roger Daltrey is one of these singers. You're like, can he really sing? Sometimes he just does that James Brown kind of living in America growl, and sometimes he does sing really quite amazingly. Some of the notes he hits and the power of that R&B voice. Quite something. Anyway. Now, there is, of course, the, you know... It's interesting because the UN is pretty ineffectual. Uh, the, um, the expert is pretty ineffectual. It's Brad Pitt who figures things out, you know, with no particular training in this kind of thing. So the military sends him somewhere and the UN sends an expert and the expert dies very early on and the military is not particularly helpful. And so all of that is interesting in that it does turn out to be an individualist kind of film. It's not, it's not teamwork or anything. He just figures it out, right? And all that occurs, that is productive, occurs outside <clears throat> of a hierarchy. Right, the escapes, the, he breaks rules, he goes against where he's supposed to fly, he goes off on his own, he's, you know, doesn't give orders, doesn't take orders. So this, the, the solution is individualistic. That's not necessarily a hymn to individualism, it's just a narrative necessity. I mean, it's tough to make a group a hero. But he's the one who uh, figures it out. None of the experts figure it out, he's the one who figures it out, based upon his close observations of things and so on. But... 
it's it's an interesting film just to look at it from that standpoint. I think that the unthinking as a whole, I think, gives it some resonance. The, I mean, the wife. I mean, she's just a usual prop. We just give him gives him something to fight for, kind of thing. She's just. Uh, I mean, the women are other than the Israeli soldier who kind of looks more like a man than a woman, but uh, women are pretty useless. I mean, the girl's just hysterical, and a little girl, and, you know, he, the, the wife almost gets him killed by calling him when the zombies are around. They're attracted to noise kind of thing, and it's the usual kind of stuff where women are pretty useless. Um, but that's not that uncommon in, in action films, but it was pretty pretty highlighted here. Or when the, where the women are useful, they're unbelievably useful, like the woman who's really good at fighting even though she just had her hand cut off. I mean, you'd just die from that. I mean, dear Lord. I mean, that's a major artery. It goes down your wrist, right? I mean, that's how people kill themselves, is slit, slit themselves up the wrist. Uh, so getting your hand cut off in the middle of a combat zone, I mean, you're just going to die. I mean, I just, I can't imagine, I don't know, I'm no doctor, and I can't imagine how you'd survive that. But she does, and becomes an effective fighter, just like Brad Pitt after he gets pieces of red-hot engine casing removed from his innards and skewered him all the way through. I mean, geez, if that punctured any of his stomach, I mean, the the acid bleeds out. Was that Three Kings? I talked about that. Oh, I'm really telling you, I've watched too many movies. But, um, yeah, the acid bleeds out in internal organs. And it's just a complete... I mean, it takes, takes you months to recover from an illness like that, an injury like that, sorry. But, you know, within a couple of days, he's up and and fighting. But he does grimace once because he's Brad Pitt, so clearly he wants us to remember that he's he had an owie, but apparently it was a just a surface scratch. <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe the engine shrapnel <clears throat> was like those joke arrows with the little U shaped thing that go around your head and looks like the arrows are going through your head. Get them for Halloween. So maybe it was like a U shaped piece of shrapnel with two little bits at the end. And maybe it didn't go through him, it just kind of went round him and it's just a surface thing. Maybe something like that. It's the only believable thing. But, I mean, a sociopath would have that level of self-care as well. Which is to say, not really much at all. Which is why sociopaths make terrible patients. Anyway, so that's it for a World War Z. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing your thoughts about the movie. Uh, I think I will check out Man of Steel, because you just can't get enough red-caped Jesus myths in one lifetime. And I really liked the 70s movie with Christopher Reeve, the late Christopher Reeve. And uh, I, I really thought that was a great film. And uh, I even collected the, I don't know how it was, it was 11 when it came out? 12. I collected the little trading cards with pictures from the movie because that's what you did before the internet. You couldn't get the movie. Uh, this was before VHS's review, really. So uh, I thought the original was great. Uh, I did watch the rebooted one from a couple of years ago and found it eminently forgettable. But I'm curious to see what... The, uh, the new Superman movie is like. And again, as always, I'm a CGI slut. And I really do quite like the 3D stuff they've got going on. It's really pretty cool. Uh, makes me a little bit wish I hadn't cheaped out on my last TV, but what can you do? It is what it is. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Uh, I will bid you a semi-soft fond adieu. I imagine the next couple of days are going to be pretty rough as all this medicine for want of a better word, works its way through my body, cleaning out that which is not there. And um, so I will be uh, probably a little bit low on productivity for the next couple of days. But as always, I appreciate your support, your kindness, your donations, fdrurl.com forward slash donate. 
freedomainradio.com and just click on the donate page. We take bitcoins, litecoins, kidneys, PayPal, Visa, debits, you name it. Thank you, thank you, thank you everybody so much. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful day.